it wasn't good that I enjoyed it. I think I only really watched it because it's part of the wider Marvel universe. I quite like shit. And it, it really, it really put me off Agent Coulson as well. Do you remember when Coulson used to be fun? Do you remember that? I prefer Agent May. We we know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what it is. What could it be? I don't know what it could be. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Ages Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. That was a low-key beginning, wasn't it? Quite. Quite low-key. Welcome to BBC Four. Yes, pull up, pull up a chair. <laughs> We're going to suck the joy out of everything. Yes, quite right. Mark Miller will be on. He'll be drunk. Because <laughs> he normally is when he appears on Newsnight. <laughs> I'll, I'll pretend not to be annoyed. Humoured by the drunk Scott on my set. My very, very quaint set. Anyway, do we have anything to talk about? Lovely brew, Penfold. <laughs> Penfold? It was the first British butler name that came to my head. Not Jarvis. Or Alfred. Or Alfred. Or Jeeves. We already have it. No one uses Jeeves since the 90s. Jeeves and Wooster. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> you know, I'd completely forgotten about Ask Jeeves. So did Jeeves. Apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. Shall we get on with the show? Okay, doke. Do we have anything to discuss this week? I don't know. I, I don't either, to be honest with it. The Agent Carter did debut. It did. But so very good. you have watched it. Only I have watched it. Yeah, so you cannot join in the conversation. I can't. We need to catch up with Constantine. We do. So but we it's, can... we'll wait for its mid-season finale. Then it's it had it. Has it? Yes. Before Christmas. All right, well, watch. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to be around. Yeah. You know, if you can fit me in amidst your uh, your hectic schedule, that would be fantastic. Okay, Should I'll we... check my calendar. Well, if we don't have anything to say, my lips are sealed. Okay. Say something once. Why say it again? That'll make for a very boring podcast if you don't speak for it. It would. It would also make for a very boring thing if I only said something once. We're probably going to repeat ourselves multiple what times if today. You got every word in the English language, and you can only say each word once. It'd be a very, 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 very boring conversation. Well, you just lost already. How I have to say very. very yeah. It ruins all of your conversational ability. So we've not done anything at all interesting this week, apart from you know what's Haley Atwell on Agents of Shield. <sighs> I've not. No, you've not. So I can't tell you about it. Because that will that will ruin it. Well, I know the premise of it. It's it's Peggy Carter in the forties. It's Alias, isn't it? In the forties, isn't it? Um, not Tony Stark, his dad. Yes, Howard. Yeah, Howard Stark, fugitive. Yes, 
Yes. <laughs> and then that will be followed by Howard Stark, murderer. Right, okay. And then possibly No Man's Land. <laughs> and maybe Contagion. Okay, yeah. And that's going to be each story arc for Agent Carter. They're just going to rip off 90s Batman comics. And put it in, in a World War Two scenario? Hey, it works for Arrow. Is it after um, Captain America, or is it after the flashbacks in S.H.I.E.L.D.? It's after Captain America. But before S.H.I.E.L.D.? No. Oh. No, oh. it's in 1946. Was S.H.I.E.L.D. a backdoor pilot for it, or are they two separate stories? I can't remember when we've... I can't remember when the S.H.I.E.L.D. flashbacks took place. Because in the S.H.I.E.L.D. flashback, she's with Dum Dum Dugan, like she's still working for the, the war office. Hmm. By the time we get to the series, so so the S.H.I.E.L.D. flashbacks must take place before Agent Carter. Right. But the Agent Carter one-shot on the Blu-ray for whatever film that was... Yeah. Was it Iron Man 3? I think so, yeah. Uh, that is kind of like the pilot for this TV show. Right, okay. Because it doesn't have a pilot episode per se, they just, they're only making eight. Yeah, it's, so it's a, a mini-series. between the two seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D., isn't it? Yeah, it's basically opportunities for S.H.I.E.L.D. to backlog some episodes yeah. without the network having to show eight weeks of reruns, which I think is quite a smart idea. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I would prefer? What? That they'd only done ten episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. Eight episodes of Agent Carter, and then give us eight episodes of a completely different Marvel-related show. Mm. Emily Middleton came up with Dum Dum Dugan and the Howling Commandos in Vietnam, and I now want to see that show. Yeah. Because there are, there's an awful lot of things you could do, though. Would you have a Nick Fury TV show? Would it have to be Dum Dum Dugan, or could you have a Nick Fury TV show? I would like it to be Nick Fury, David Hasselhoff Division. Oh. Not... David Hasselhoff, yeah. obviously, and then establish, like I've said before, that somewhere along the line in Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury continuity, yeah. there was an interracial marriage somewhere. Samuel or as Jackson. I refer to that, a marriage. Yeah. Well, like what they've done now to introduce, how they've introduced Sam Jackson into the normal Marvel Universe and they yeah. had that, what they could do was have a TV show where it's maybe a watered-down uh, Fury Max. Yeah. And have, do you think have, you'd get Sam Jackson to do a TV show, though? But yeah, Sam Jackson doing Fury... Well, Sam Jackson doing Fury Max would work. Well, what I was saying was you have that as his last mission, his last era, mm. and then it would lead of in... Of the, the, the Caucasian Nick Fury. Yeah, and then you was, would have... Who would be, what, Sam Jackson's great-great-grandfather or something? Well, or great-grandfather, something like that. It could just be like father, couldn't it? Well, it could be, yeah. yeah. Well, if, if we establish Sam Jackson's mum was... African American. Yeah, okay. I prefer it being a great grandfather. Although, how old is Sam Jackson? I don't know, but if you have. He's not old enough to have been conceived by somebody in, who was fighting in World War II, is he? I don't know how old Sam Jackson is. No, it's Vietnam. Oh, right. You've got your shield, modern day. Yeah. Then you've got. Um, Agent Carter setting up shield World in the 1940s. War II with early shield, and then you have the last days of shield, the early days of new shield, mm. where you have. David Hasselhoff, end of the Caucasian era. Nick Fury. Let's just call him David Hasselhoff. Oh, oh you say we should just bring back David no, Hasselhoff? No, I'm not saying that, it's just, yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's call him David Hasselhoff. The last mission of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury in Vietnam. With Dum Dum Dugan and the Howling Commandos. Yeah. And then you have him pass the torch on to his son, who starts the new S.H.I.E.L.D. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I could go with that. Yeah. You might there, are, there is a part of me that wants to see. The Nick Fury I loved yeah. with the Howling Commandos. And that's not, I don't dislike Sam Jackson, Nick Fury, he's actually quite pretty cool. Mm. But see, the scenario we've said before, 
work could give us both what we want, couldn't yeah. it? You could still have Sam Jackson, Nick Fury, and you could still have David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. And it's what the you know networks would want with more programs and more ratings. Yeah. So you'd be, essentially, though, you would be getting three shows for the cost of one. Yeah. Well, in, I mean, in the, probably in the same two-hour slot as well. Yeah. I mean, it must be more expensive to make a period show like Agent Carter. Yeah. Than it is to make a contemporary show like Agents of Sheep. That's mostly filmed on a set in an aircraft. Yeah, it's mostly filmed on a bat lot. Yeah. But Agent Carter's probably all bat lot, but they need period costumes and period cars. Yeah. And all of that. It was it was really, really good. And um the whole, she listens to the Captain America radio show. There's a Captain America There's radio a show. Captain America radio show and it's really cool. Okay. And people are already saying they should make them free for to download. Yeah. An episode of that for us as an mp3 and I think that's an excellent idea have you seen that guy's super cut of all the Marvel films and the TV shows and the shorts in chronological order well it's just one long thing yeah how many hours is that then in its 20s so you're full there yeah I guess so he's taken the prelude of Iron Man 3 yeah and put it before Iron Man yeah right and he's taken like the opening uh, cinematic to Thor 2 and that opens it, so it, it goes chronological. Right. That's and it's, it's more of a scene-by-scene scene thing rather than a whole movie. Oh, right, so it doesn't... So the first half of Captain America, the first three quarters or whatever, yeah. and then we'd see him disappear into the ocean. Yeah. But then you would only see him get rescued before the Avengers. Yeah. Or before whichever movie that was, before Iron Man 2 or whatever. Yeah. Right. So see, you would have... It opens with the opening scene to Thor 2, mm. but Thor 2's way down the line. Right. Yeah, because Thor 2... Thor 2. And Thor 1 explains Bifrost and Asgard and all that stuff, doesn't it? What's yeah. the opening to Thor 2? The fight scene between... Uh, Christopher Eccleston. Christopher and Odin. Right. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that sounds like a pretty cool idea, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think that's better than 22 episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Give us three eight-episode shows yeah. every year. Is this what Netflix is doing with the three shows? Yeah, and so the quality's there. Mm-hmm. You know going in exactly how many episodes you're going to be doing, so you can actually plan out your story and from the get-go. three sides of the same story anyway. Yeah, you're not getting an actor to have to commit six months of their life to one project, mm-hmm. which is what the old ball cat, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's an art. I do want that Howling Commandos TV show. Yeah. I want that so bad. See, why aren't we writing... For, for TV? Because uh, they get paid lots of money and we give it away for free. We have better ideas, so We do, but we've never actually written a script. So. Excuse me. We should pitch it. We should totally pitch Emily Middleton's idea. <laughs> we, 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 we changed it here and <laughs> Alright, we'll give her a credit. Yeah, yeah. It's Nick Fury in the Howling Commandos. <laughs> a Special thanks. <laughs> Here's a check for a piddling amount of money while we roll in the millions. Millions? <laughs> Here's a check from a piddling amount of money from a piddling from, amount of From money. the piddling amount of money that we got. Yeah, Alright, fair enough. Should we do an email? Okie doke. One of the many that we've, we've got to, in the email bulging sack this week. By many, I mean two. Our first email of two is from Mark Lax. Merry, happy, etc. Merry Christmas, Leylands. Thank you for this happy show. The Ant-Man book actually sounded stranger and darker than the Morrison book. First, I would like to tell Andrew to please get well. You sound awful. Well, just generally, oh, just yeah, in that yeah. particular episode. You sound awful. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
appreciate that. Uh, booze, tea and more booze should help. Booze in tea. <laughs> yes, well, I've only got the tea at the moment. So. Uh, of course, when it happens, Michael can carry on until school. No one can replace the two of you. We'll probably be stuck with Hey Kids Comics hosted by Trentus Magnus and his dog. <laughs> You'd probably get a better conversation. <laughs> Still love you, Trentus, is what the email says. Anyway, I slightly disagree with Andrew about Eddie Murphy. Only slightly. So you you think he's only slightly crap? <laughs> yeah. I do agree about Beverly Hills Cop, though. Reinhold and John Astin make that movie, and Trading Places was hilarious, but Eddie's career has been on pause for years. It's easy to be cynical about Christmas, and Mark was for a number of paragraphs, but considering the comics you covered, I felt it was appropriate. I know I'm being cynical, but you do have to look for the happiness because it is out there. Listening to you guys always makes me happy, and I hope you and your family had a wonderful holiday with visions of sugar plums and pink flamingo Batmans dancing in your head. All the best, your pal Mark Lax. Well, thank you very much, Mark. And you know what we still... That was much appreciated. What we still did not do over Christmas. What did we still not do over Christmas? Well, we didn't do the eggnog! We did not. Oh, man! I completely forgot about it again, and you mentioned it, didn't you? I did. I should have written it on my hand. <laughs> oh, you should have written it on your eyelids. You're right, like a razor yeah. star. You should have written egg. egg. No, Nog. so every time you blink at me, I would have gone, he's trying to tell me something subliminally. Nog egg. Nog egg. Nog egg. Look at that funny squint you've got. <laughs> Chris Franklin's emailed in about Forbidden Planet, but that's not for this show. <laughs> so I'll read the other email from Chris Franklin, which says, Super Gamma Bat Judgment. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Superman versus the Incredible Hulk. I am very impressed with this email. That episode only went up today. It did. So I was quite impressed with that. Somehow I don't own this. And worse yet, I've never read it. Which is really odd, because I'm a fan of Stern and Rude and both characters. Well, I don't have a huge collection of Hulk comics, but I appreciate the character. Rude did that nice prestige world's finest mini in the early 90s where he perfected his Schuster-esque Superman. I think he's one of the few artists who've managed to replicate that feel and integrate it into a more accessible modern version. And yes, very few can Kirby like Rude. Bruce Tim may be the only one that can pull it off, but Tim doesn't leave his entire style behind when he does it. Despite your kind of mediocre review, I still need to find this. It sounds like fun. I do like that that sounds like He's saying our review was mediocre. Yeah, maybe it's a double bluff, though. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Despite the mediocrity of our review. Yeah. And I've said before, I don't think what we do is review stuff. We just can't talk about it. But despite the mediocrity of our conversation, mm-hmm. he's still tempted to read the book. Does that say that the book's better than our mediocre conversation? Or maybe our mediocre conversation was just enough to sell it. <laughs> I love that. Despite your mediocre conversation. (laughs) Oh, well, we've still got your money that you paid for... Oh, wait a minute. Anyway, Chris's email continues. I lost track of all the Batman Judge Dread books. I have this one, but I don't remember it. The first thing that sticks out in my mind is the first one because of Bisley's art, but that's about it. I do like the ventriloquist in Scarface, but reading all those damn Gs used to drive me nuts. After Batman the Animated Series used the character, I just bypassed those in my head and read it like actor George Zunder did the... Thank goodness they left those out. 
I like it when they leave it ambiguous over who is in control of the relationship as well. Heck, not like I'm under this, Grant wrote a story revealing that Scarface may be possessed by the spirit of a hanged prisoner, or a number of prisoners, since he was carved from the penitentiary gallows. Looking forward to the rest of the crossover season. The crossover season which came about entirely by accident, did it not? Our next email! Oh, yes... And here's where I plug the fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, here's where we the plug Palace. the Fantasticast, or my other show, The Palace of Glittering Delights, or Listen to the Prophets, which I also do with Paul Spataro and Sean Engel. You do another podcast now? I'm sure I've mentioned that I do a Deep Space Night podcast at some point. Okay. Just because you're never here. That's not hard. I watch an episode of Star Trek, which isn't a chore, right. and then I talk to people about it, which isn't difficult. <laughs> you know, it's pretty straightforward. So, we'll plug a show. Oh, I know what it is this month. Michael and uh, Jeffrey are doing Zero Hour. Okay. I'm going to plug that in this, this year spot. So, enjoy this trailer, and we will be right back. Imagine the world you have known all your life suddenly begins to change. The changes are almost imperceptible at first, but soon everything comes crashing around you. Past and present contradict each other. History is no longer immutable. Inconsistencies begin to pop up. New origins rendered stories only a few years old, null and void. Those long gone are no longer dead. Worst of all, your friends and loved ones are vanishing or changing. The very fabric of reality surrounding the DC Universe is unraveling. In Smallville, Jor-El and Lara have returned to take Superman back to an unexploded Krypton. In Metropolis, Superman is faced with a multitude of Batmen. The time stream, made fragile by countless twists and myriad travels, is now spinning out of control. Time is running out. Quickly. Only the greatest heroes of every era and reality can stop this crisis in time. And stop it they must, or the DC Universe will cease to exist, perhaps never to have existed at all. The heroes and villains of the DC Universe are facing their Zero Hour. In 1994, DC published Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, a five-issue miniseries designed to fix some of the continuity issues that had cropped up since the conclusion of the Crisis on Infinite Earths. This was a huge deal, and because of that, and because Superman played such a large part in that story, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, hosted by Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey, will be covering the Superman issues, as well as Zero Hour itself. We will also be looking at all of the official crossovers to the series, in addition to devoting several episodes to the follow-up event, Zero Month, where Superman meets a brand new enemy. Conduit. Zero Hour. Zero Month. Only at From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. From Crisis to Crisis can be found at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. 
and is part of the Superman Podcast Network, which is located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Also be sure to check out the Fortress of Bailey 2, which is located at www.fortressofbailey2.com. There you will find new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, as well as all kinds of fun bits of business connected to Zero Hour and Zero In the late 1970s, the Cold War that had existed between Marvel and DC Comics started to thaw a little. Both companies, like greedy little Ferengi, sensed that there was profit to be made from having their characters meet up, and duly produced tabloid-sized meetings for Superman and Spider-Man, and Batman and the Incredible Hulk. A further team-up in the early 1980s saw Superman meet the Hulk and Spider-Man meet Wonder Woman. And when the Teen Titans met the X-Men, albeit in a normal-sized comic, the Treasury Edition having gone the way of the Dodo, it seemed like this could be an annual or biannual event. As such, in 1981, the next DC-Marvel crossover was announced to the fan press. Avengers vs. the JLA. Much excitement abound, and George Perez, who announced that this was the comic he'd always dreamed of drawing, was announced as penciler. Jerry Conway was announced as plotter, and Roy Thomas would script over Conway's plot. The creative team, it seemed, found favour from all concerned. Conway and Thomas both had experience working at both companies, and Perez was at the top of his game, and arguably the preeminent artist in comics at that time. The plot was typed up and dutifully sent to Marvel, this to be a DC production, and Perez got to work, feeling Marvel signing off was merely a formality. Sadly, this formality turned into a pissing contest, when Jim Shooter, then editor-in-chief of Marvel, refused to agree to the plot as it was and started demanding changes. An article in Marvel Age magazine issue 19 detailed Marvel's issues, whilst Dick Giordano published a rebuttal, a meanwhile column, detailing DC's side of the argument. Both articles are reproduced in full in the Avengers JLA omnibus, where they can be read. But I've got to be frank, having read both, I feel that Shooter's complaints are generally nitpicky and pedantic. And the feeling I got from reading them was that, for whatever reason, Shooter didn't want this team-up to happen. The fallout from this argument was quite huge. Perez had already drawn 21 pages of the book, and was understandably miffed that all that hard work was for naught. It created yet another rift between Marvel and DC, resulting not only in the cancellation of Avengers vs. JLA, but also the second Teen Titans X-Men team-up. As a direct result of this impasse, there would not be another Marvel-DC team-up for over a decade, when the Punisher would finally meet Batman in 1994. Perez sold his original art to Rob Liefeld, and this crossover would never see the light of day. Despite various plot elements leaking out over the years, whatever Conway, Thomas and Perez had planned, it would remain one of the great untold tales in comic book history. But if comics like anything, it's a good death and rebirth story, and as such, in 2003 there was another, albeit temporary, thaw in the Cold War. See, by this point, Joe Quesada had taken over the running of Marvel Comics, and one of the first things he started doing was slagging off the competition, leading to an end to projects like DC vs. Marvel and the various amalgam material. Quesada was often abrasive in his attitude to DC, and more often than not, his barbs didn't come across as friendly rivalry as it had in the Stan Lee days, rather being more petulant and mean-spirited. Quesada often came across like a stroppy teenager rather than an intelligent man engaging in friendly banter, and, unremarkably, DC ceased communicating with Marvel in any meaningful way. 
But rumblings started that DC would be happy to put aside any differences to create this great lost comics story. Perez was now under exclusive contract to cross-gen comics, but even they agreed he could be freed from that contract if this project were to happen. Even Quisada could smell the license to print money that this project gave off and stepped down his abrasive attitude and snide comments, at least for a while. For whatever reason, it was decided not to use Conway and Thomas for the project this time, and Kurt Busiek was asked to develop a completely new plot. He and then-JLA writer Mark Wade planned to run it through the regular Avengers and JLA books, but by the time the series was given the go-ahead, Wade was off JLA, and it was decided to have it run in its own four-book, prestige-format, bookshelf-style limited series, the first issue of which came out in September of 2003. And here it is, the... Proper copy. No no digital here. It's apparently quite hard to get hold of this now. Is it? Because obviously DC and Marvel have to agree with each other to have this in publication. Yeah. So the omnibus is out of print. Right. The trade paperback is out of print. And uh, I think they did. Did they do an absolute edition of this? They did a slipcase um, yeah. version with extras, didn't they? That had all 21 pages of art in it. Mm. from the original version. So it's worth looking at, but apparently it's quite hard to get hold of. Does Liffield still have it? No, Liffield sold all 21 pages of art to different dealers. Right. So when it came time to actually publish them, they they couldn't track all 21 pages down. Right. Well done, Rob. What a great thing to do with an artefact. How did they get it all in? They still had photocopies that George Perez took before he sold them to Liffield. So it's not the originals, it's... No, some of them are. Oh, right. The ones they were able to track down, they reproduced the originals. Right. But the ones they couldn't track down are just the false copies that George Perez had. Right. So, I mean, I can, I can understand Perez selling them. I suppose he wanted to make some money back yeah. from 21 pages worth of art. But I kind of think it's unforgivable Rob Liffield sold them off individually. I guess. That's, you know, you just kept them as a set, wouldn't you? Yeah, they would have been better off as a set. Like yeah. That. If he's making big books from it, it'd be bigger books from altogether. You'd have thought so, but, you know, whatever. Were you familiar with any of that backstory beforehand? No. Shame that, because I would have liked you to have read the Meanwhile column in the Marvel Age article to see what you think. If you'd have said. I completely forgot. Fair completely enough. Completely slipped my mind, to be honest. And you did only ask me today what we're reading tonight, Dad. No, I, I didn't know. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. Yeah, because so, that would have been quite a see if you had the same opinion that I did, that it really did smell of it was Jim Shooter who put the kibosh on it for whatever reason. Maybe I'll read it for next time. Yeah, that's a good idea. We could talk about it in the preamble next week. That's a good idea. The cover is Wraparound by Perez and features various members of the JLA and the Avengers of the time standing around and stirring at something awesome. Kind of like the crew doing stuff at the motion picture. Just looking and going, oh, oh, wow. If the audience could see this. <laughs> oh, it's the claw. <laughs> the claw. Perez was at this point completely obsessed with giving people different faces. And uh, he manages to achieve this with people of different facial shapes and everybody's nose is different and the lips are different. And the level of detail in the guy's work is actually quite astonishing. Everybody looks different, even under the masks. It's not the best cover of the four. No. Which, for me, is issue number four. But uh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. There's not really a lot to describe. They're all just kind of stood there. 
Terminus in the background, isn't it? Yeah, it's some neat perspective. Yeah. With the main characters on the cover taking up the most room and it vanishing away to all the secondary characters. Yeah, on the back cover. It is, it is good. And Starro as well. Is it? Oh, so it says, yeah, Starro. I did not notice Starro there in the background. Something new every time you look at Perez's artwork, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it is glorious. Not so hot on the skinny-faced cap. No, you know... Uh, I think Captain America's a bit too skinny-faced, and so is the Flash. See, my, my thing with that is I'm not too hot on seeing Captain America's eyebrows through his mask. Yeah. But, you know, it's not a deal-breaker or anything, is it? Thor's got a, a, a Jenny Agatha nose. He, he, no, he's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> is he? Yeah, the Thor is definitely Kevin Bacon on that cover. So you think that Thor's going to be shilling for EE at any minute? Either that, or he's <laughs> setting off some major tremors. Mm, it's, a, it's a good cover. I quite like it. Everyone looks like they're, you know, having a good time. Right, the synopsis for these are quite long, as you may expect. So I've tried to trim them, but they're probably going to be lengthy. So uh, I'd make yourself comfy. Put a kettle on, put feet up, relax. I'll put some background music on for you to listen to. You don't have to listen to me all the time. As the walls between realities begin to collapse, the worlds of Polymachus and Quad are wiped out by an unknown probe. I wonder if it's looking for the whales. This probe, according to the Grandmaster, one of the elders of the universe, threatens the very fabric of the universe, and he will permit it no further access. The probe, however, reveals itself to a being, Krona, and he will not be denied. On two very different worlds, two similar at different superhero teams fight unknown adversaries. The JLA stand proud against Terminus, whilst the Avengers tackle Starro the Conqueror. Both teams take down their respective enemies, but learn of their interdimensional nature. They also learn these incursions are not limited to Earth. The Flash manages to breach the dimensional barriers, but loses his powers when he does so, becoming the victim of anti-mutant hate. Fortunately, he returns to his own universe when the powers fade, and he informs the JLA he could transport them all to the other universe should he need to. It becomes apparent to the JLA they may have no choice when both the Watcher and the Grandmaster appear all along the Watchtower and are informed that 12 objects of unimaginable power need gathering from each universe, 6 from both, else countless billions die. From this universe, the Bell, the Wheel and the Jar, the Medusa Mask, the Sphere of Destiny, Green Lantern's Power Battery, the Orb of Ra and the Eternity Book. The Flash sets up a vibrational field and, with the Atom taking his place on the team, he sends the JLA off on their mission. They arrive in this other universe and are shocked by the dictatorship of Doom in Latveria, the destruction of Genosha and anti-mutant demonstrations, and the level of damage caused by the Hulk, but Batman warns them all of interfering, telling them to stay on target. They all regroup on Monster Isle to locate the first of the objects, and the JLE do battle whilst the Batman locates the first object, the ultimate nullifier. However, the Avengers arrive, having spotted the interdimensional breach, and try to prevent the theft of the Nullifier. As Hawk shoots the Nullifier from Batman's hands, the Avengers prepare to strike as the Vision activates his signature modulator, returning the JLA home, but at that precise instant, Wonder Woman snatches Hawkeye's arrow from out of the air, and the JLA return home triumphant. As the Avengers lick their wounds, Metron of the New Gods pops in for a chat. He basically tells the Avengers what the Grandmaster told the JLA, but the six objects needed from this universe are the Infinity Gems, the Ultimate Nullifier, the Cosmic Cube, the Wand of Watum, the Casket of Ancient Winters, and the Evil Eye. 
The Atom, who was left behind, bears witness, but hears Metron tell the Avengers that if the JLA succeed in their quest, this universe will die. Metron provides the Avengers with a mother box and they use it to journey across dimensions. Arriving in Metropolis, the Avengers prevent a bank robbery, but Captain America is not impressed by the gleaming citadels and adulation this universe's heroes are held in. He believes that this world has been created in their image, a world created by tin gods demanding adoration. The JLA take a dim view of this, but in both parties there is a feeling that something is wrong. Cap is a little too pious, Superman a little too perfect. Thor, however, answers to no man and takes first blood, hurling mighty Mjolnir into Superman's face. Which was cool. Elsewhere, Metron and the Grandmaster watch all this unfurl. Krona will not follow the rules, Metron tells the Grandmaster. And the Grandmaster acknowledges this, but reports that this was the only way to delay him. He has already destroyed two universes, and the game could end in the destruction of two more. The Grandmaster is playing a larger game, his game, and watching, having stowed away on Metron's chair, the Atom watches, stunned by the revelations. Oh! Does that make any sense? Kind of. You were listening, were you? <laughs> you know what Stephen does? What? He goes to sleep when it's my synopsis. Does he? Yeah. Wise man. <laughs> It's a good job I don't have a, a, an ego that's easy to bruise, isn't it? Uh, the opening, as I mentioned when I, uh, I did the synopsis, is very similar to Star Trek for the Voyage Home, with the probe appearing and asking a question and not receiving an answer. I mean, it doesn't really give him much time before it destroys Paul Marcus and uh, Quad, does it? No. Yeah, I thought it was a uh, Conan before I started reading it. I was like, oh, cool, is Conan going to show up and kick some ass? I thought that exact same thing, because I'm not overly familiar with Akron. I thought he was Conan as well, and that that was Red Sonja. Yeah, that would have been pretty badass. That would have been Conan pretty badass. Well. I mean, Conan deflowering Sonja, I don't know if that's ever happened. Yeah. So, as happens here. But uh, is, so is Paul Macus the Marvel one? Is Akron a Marvel character or a DC character? I'm I'm guessing it's Marvel because Quad's DC. Right. Okay. And we, we, yeah, we, when did Quad just get blown up? Because I'm sure it, it's it's all right in the Green Lantern. Uh, you've yeah. not read the last two issues yet. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, don't don't be you know. Ah, uh, the power of hindsight. The power of having read the whole story. Well, that and going, but hmm, <laughs> Quad is in a later story. Things that make you go hmm. I did quite like seeing the... Uh, the Injustice League. Yeah, I do like them. Yeah, they get wiped out pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, it's... it's do you get the feeling that Boussiak was just, I don't want them in the story? I guess, yeah. I when you've got two Supermans. Yeah, I need them out of the way yeah. as quickly as possible, so let's destroy them. And Conan, well, he's not really going to be much help, <laughs> is he? I know he's not Conan, but... By crumb, <laughs> if I throw my sword at the probe. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't put it past Conan to try that. <laughs> yeah. And then after he's done, he'd be shagging Eternity's woman, wouldn't he? Because <laughs> he was Conan. Yeah. And that's basically all he did. Yeah. He fought, he ate, he drank, he shagged. He was a very simple man. Pillaging and debauchery. <laughs> it's the Conan way. <laughs> <laughs> it's two of my favourite hashtags. <laughs> I don't know about Conan. <laughs> Um, wiping out the crisis, wiping out the crisis, uh, wiping out the crime syndicate or the Injustice League. Which name do you prefer? Uh, Injustice League. Do you prefer Injustice League? Yeah, it's because it's a 
alternate take on the Justice League. I think I prefer Injustice League. Yeah. I think that, I think that suits them better. That's just me. Anyway, wiping them out this early in the story does tell the reader up front that this is pretty going to be serious. Yeah. There's high stakes here. Wiping out Conan, that doesn't really matter. No, no. But wiping out the Injustice League, that, that was uh, pretty serious stuff. In a page as well. In a the single page, yeah. Um, it's very Crisis on Infinite Earths, isn't it? The way I read it was that it was kind of a sequel to it. Yeah, it works as a sequel to Crisis, doesn't it? Worlds will live, worlds will die. And there's a lot of imagery as well that call back to it. How much of that is it's just Perez doing the art, though? I guess, but with the hand and the universe and the fact that the main antagonist came from Crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it works as a Crisis sequel. Mm. Um... It's certainly better there as a sequel to that than Secret Wars 2 was to Secret Wars. Yeah. Do we ever talk about Secret Wars 2 or is it just one of the things we don't mention? No, we do mention it, but uh, when we're taking the piss off. Uh, okay, because we can never get over the image of Spider-Man teaching the Beyond how to piss. <laughs> this is a toilet. What does one do with a toilet? One holds one's in one's hand and aims. No, not there! You're cleaning that up, dude! You see the Beyonder going, what? <laughs> cleaning what up no you don't lick it <laughs> that, would have, that, that would have been funny yeah. that would have been much funnier than it actually was anyway this is the era of the two cool Batman so we've got the wonderful Justice League versus Terminus and uh, the Justice League are rather impotent aren't they mm. Against they're doing an adequate job but they're, they're kind of getting their ass handed to them Superman's been knocked across the town. And when Superman gets knocked across the town, you know how strong the enemy is. Well, that's what they used to do every week in the Justice League cartoon, isn't it? Let's have this new alien show up and beat the crap out of Superman. That'll show what a badass he is. (laughs) And after a while, you're like, can Superman not beat anybody? Christ, Superman, toughen up. Isn't your name supposed to be Superman, not Doorman? (laughs) But yeah, so Wonder Woman's struggling a bit here. I do like that it's taking place at a Lex Mart. Mm. And there's a big belly burger, though. And Green Lantern is Kyle Rayner at this point. So having him be stunned that Superman gets his clock cleaned so quickly. And it's the, the later Kyle Rayner costume as well. Is it? Yeah. Not the the one that we covered when we did Net but 90s. No. Right. And, well, I thought Aquaman had no hand at this point. It, it got better. Because later on he mentions that he doesn't have a hand anymore, doesn't he? So this is already the universe is messing around, isn't it? Because obviously Terminus is a Marvel villain. Is it? And Aquaman has two flash hands. Right, okay. Unless that was a mistake. I don't know. I kind of doubt George Perez would make that kind of mistake. I guess. It's yeah. entirely possible. Anyway, it is the era of too cool Batman, as I said. But him just standing there while they all get their asses kicked... And just analysing the situation and working out how to defeat Terminus is pretty badass. Oh, I, I really thought that was cool. When I saw this flash page, I'm like, oh, Batman's just chilling there, is it? Yeah, Batman's just stood on a rooftop watching. Yeah, and when uh, Plastic Man takes the mick out of him. <laughs> yeah, he says, uh, I suppose you could just stir him into submission. Yeah, yeah. And I love, the, I love the idea that Batman just looks at him and goes, Okay. <laughs> It's quite kind of Batman takes charge, doesn't he? Mm. Batman takes control and everyone... Because one of the things that I'd wonder about this, I think I may mention it in, in a coverage somewhere, who is leader of the JLA? They don't seem to know, do they? Um, they just seem to have... I will give orders at this precise moment. They don't have leaders. Like in the Morrison one, which established this 
JLA, mm. they all swapped. Like, there was never... All right, so basically age. they let whoever has the most experience of whatever it is they're fighting tech lead. No, it wasn't even... Because, like, here, Batman takes command. Yeah. It wasn't even that. It was more of a... They all bring something to the table. Right. So whichever benefited more, they would then take command, I guess. So if Aquaman has a battle plan, they all listen to Aquaman. If Superman's taking charge, then it's Superman. If Batman's got intel, they listen to Batman. Right. So in this instance, Batman clearly knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so they just go with it. Mm -hmm. Alright, that's fair enough. I don't mind that. And then they do start working together as a team. And they take Terminus out, which I thought was really cool. Really very well done. I did like that they're having a big argument about who he is and where he came from and what we can do about it. And Wonder Woman basically is the one who says, enough of this crap, there are people trapped under the rubble. And she basically calls time on having a conversation about who the hell Terminus was and go and help any innocent people that may need it. Yeah. Apart from Superman, obviously, who's busy checking out Cat Grant's breast. <laughs> yes. But everyone else helps out. Yeah. I like Hal Jordan showing up as well as the Spectre. Yeah. Which, oh, you've not read number four. That's seeding that. Is it? Yeah, that's seeding something. Right. So, Hal, in a big mega crossover that spans not one, but two major comic book publishing companies, Hal Jordan makes more than one appearance. Mm-hmm. He does. He does. And there's a couple more than, than one yeah, appearance, okay. as you will see as the, as the story develops. So, Crisis couldn't have been, but... But Avengers JLA could. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty... Uh, that's excellent. Perez's art's exemplary. Everyone looks exactly like they should do. Everyone looks like the iconic versions of the characters. Even when they're stuck with silly 90s outfits, he manages them to make them look cool. Even uh, with, with Jacka Hearts yeah, is in it as well. Jacka Hearts is there. I like Jacka Hearts. But especially seen as the whole point of this story is reality's changing around them. Yeah. What you'll get as we go along is they will change their costumes. Right. Just without warning. Yeah. Suddenly Thor will have a beard. Right. Like from that time that he grew a beard. Yeah. And then without warning, uh, the Flash... Not the Flash. Who had different Green Lantern's costume will change. Right. For no reason at all other than this was the, the universe where he wore that costume. Fair enough. And all that happens all the way through. Scarlet Witch's outfit changes. The vision changes. Yeah. And all the way through he just changes them. So does that happen in these two issues then? I can't remember if it's in these two. It's definitely in three and four. Right. Yeah, Scarlet Witch is in a... Oh no, she's still in a gypsy outfit in issue two, isn't she? Yeah. Maybe it's only in the... Zatanna as well. Right. Zatanna will appear in a fishnet and she appears in the costume she wore in the early 80s. Right, okay. So all of that goes on. The wasp changes outfits all the time. Yeah. Because the wasp changes outfits all the time. So Yellow Jacket goes from Yellow Jacket to Ant-Man. So yeah. Right, okay. Uh, it, it is actually really cool the amount of thought and detail that they've put into it. Uh, we cut to the Marvel Universe, New York City, an absolutely adorable adorable excellent shot on this two page flash into it's an up angle so you're, you're essentially like you're lying on the floor fisheye lens thing looking up at the buildings as the Avengers take on Starro and already this is everything Marvel and DC Marvel versus DC sorry should have been mm. and wasn't five six pages in and we have got more cool visuals and little nuggets than we got in that entire four issue series. Well, it's got more story than all four issues of that series. Yeah, did. combined, the more it handles its cosmic action. story. Yeah, it handles yeah. its cosmic story much better than Marvel vs DC. It handles its character moments better than Marvel vs DC. Yeah, this pisses all over Marvel vs DC. And the fighting's better than yeah. Those, the yeah. action scenes are just wonderfully well realised. There is a couple of sign of the times here. Triathlon. 
being a yeah. member of the of the Avengers. Who hands up all those people who remember <laughs> triathlon? And was Sandman? There, there isn't a Sandman. But when Sandman was on the yes, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does show up. Does he? Yeah, right. We'll have to look for that because I'm pretty sure that Sandman does show up in one of these issues. I'll have to try and remember it for next time. Scarlet Witch has got the gypsy outfit on, mm. which is very nineties. On Witch's gypsy outfit, it, she now has a bow midriff. And her skirt is held in place via a circular clasp at the waist. And it is quite clear, is it not, that she's not supposed to be wearing any underwear, though. There is no visible panty line that we can see. Maybe maybe it's even to the skirt? She's completely naked, though. Okay. Implying that she's not got anything on, right? Maybe she's a party girl, I don't know, she's recently divorced. Well, this is my problem with this. All it requires... Is that clasp attaching the skirt be broken yeah. or snap in the middle of what she's doing? And suddenly we're being able to tell whether the witch's collar and cuffs match or if she goes the full Brazilian or what. Right. It's impractical, is what I'm saying. It's a rare misstep for, for Perez, who's normally very good at designing costumes. And he will get her into a regular Scarlet Witch ca- oh, costume as soon as he can. Yeah, basically. Is that the one with the funny headgear? Yeah, I mean, she's still got funny headgear on here. Oh, yeah. But it's even funnier. Yeah. Back in the olden days, isn't it? Uh, more great character bits. Starro has latched his starfishes onto lots of civilians and Cap apologises. Yeah. For hitting the civilian who's got face hugged by Starro. I hope that civilian doesn't remember this because in the litigious society in which we live. He's suing Captain America, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I don't think he'd win. <laughs> Although maybe, you know, Saul Goodman would get him off. You maybe, never know. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Uh, the, the scene where they, they attached Starro to the Scarlet Witch, I think um, Quicksilver was putting it on a bit heavily. No, don't do it, Vision. She was your ex-wife and my sister. <laughs> yeah, as an aside, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was yeah. also my sister. For people who've never read comics before... I didn't geez. know she was married to the Vision. Yeah, they had kids. It will play into issues three and four. Like little cyborgs. Yes, little cyborg witches. Little toaster. Everything is not what it seems. Yes, your daughter's a cyborg. There's a new Disney Channel show. My daughter's a cyborg. (laughs) Oh, I would watch that show. My dad's a machine and my mum's a witch. This is impractical from the get-go. Here you go, Disney Channel show. Soft biology. And 13-year-old girls in a good out of stuff. L- little nanotech sperm. Yeah, and you can you could wheedle some real hard science fiction into it and they'd never know. As long as it dealt with this little girl and the problems that she has. And obviously she has to sing the theme to. The problem she has toasting bread every morning. <laughs> she, she puts it in her back. <laughs> two slits in her back for making toast. Thing in her belly for coughing. <laughs> oh, this writes itself, dude. It does, yeah. Help, my mummy's a cyborg. No, my help, my baby's a cyborg. Yeah. Uh, that's a great title for a Disney Channel it show. Is. There you go, another show pitch. Yeah. If that happens, Disney, we want the money. I also like as well that Marvel defeats Star or better than DC beat Terminus. Why do you like that? I, I don't know, it's... This entire series, well, what I've read, the first two issues, are incredibly biased towards Marvel. I uh, see. I don't agree with that. I I think as we go along, you'll you'll see that it evens out quite well. It's just yeah, the the, the fight a DC villain, not only better than the Marvels, 
the, the DC fought the Marvel's villain, but also better than the DC's fought uh, Starro. <laughs> that, and the Flash goes to the Marvel versus yeah. uses the Speed Force, but Quicksilver shows up in the DCU and uses the Speed Force as well as his mutant powers. But not only that, as soon as Scarlet Witch gets into the DC universe, she's even more yeah. powerful because of the chaos magic. Yeah. So, but they do actually mention that in story. Right. So I didn't mind that too much. Yeah, I mean, the Flash has to cross universes, which I normally don't like, mm. and DC versus Marvel did it, and I hated it though. But it's the point of this story, isn't it? Yeah. That it's the universes are being destroyed. So I'll give Boosiek a pass because it is a cosmic multiple reality tale. And the Flash encounters anti-mutant prejudice straight out the gate. I didn't really like the Flash losing his powers because there's no speed force, but that's simply because I don't like the speed force. Yeah, I think that overcomplicates the very simple idea that a man gets hit by lightning and bizarre unknown chemicals and gains the ability to run super fast. But, at the same time, it did give him something to play with with the Flash. Yeah. Though the Flash couldn't go with them. I, I like Wally relying on the Speed Force. And I liked it hit, um, with him not having it. But I don't think it, it should imply that Barry Allen got all of his powers from the Speed Force. Because what this implies is that Wally is powerless without the Speed Force. Yeah. Well, he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, does that stretch as far as other Flash family members? What, so if Impulse had been with him? Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't have had his power as well because he was, he was generated in the Speed Force, wasn't he? Was it? And isn't now the ret- wasn't there the retcon that Jay Garner was also tapping into the... Jay Garrick was also chapping into the speed force. I think it was the, he, he's tapped into it because it's there and he can use his power on it. But I thought right. he always got his powers the way he did. I think. Then we said this when we covered the Flash. I just think it overcomplicates the idea. But you know, whatever. It works for this story, yeah. so I'm willing to to let it go. Again, it's Perez's use of panels and word to break with conventions, as well as his angles and his layouts he was at the top of his game here there's the magnificent upward angle that we've mentioned of the Avengers fighting Starro to this here the multi-page multi-panel splash page if such a thing is possible which it clearly is Hmm. of the JLA Watchtower these are stylized panel choices to be sure but all of them work in favour of the story and none of them are distracting they don't draw attention to how clever Perez is being. It's all in service of telling the story. Essentially, for the most part, that's a big flash, flash page, isn't it, of the Watchtower. Yeah. And it's split up into panels within that big splash. And Wally's had the crap kicked out of him by the anti-mutant haters. Yeah. Already setting up that the DC universe is a much nicer place than the Marvel universe. Yeah. Not anymore! No. Um, I, I was initially quite confused with that page. Um... And there's a lot of pages and page panel layouts like that in the entire issue, but once you get used to it, it's a lot easier. Mm. Especially when they make it easier for you by grouping them panels with different colours. Yeah. Like, there's the yellow... Yeah, you've got a yellow on border on that one. And yeah, they essentially tell you like how to read it, so I know you read it downwards. Yeah. I mean, my thing, I was a little bit confused how Plastic Man can make his face out of his hands. Can he still see and hear? Because his guess. hand there, and his hand there, and that's his head. 
Yeah. So I was a little bit confused by that. <laughs> I didn't, but Plastic Man's one of those, it's a, you know, I always have a hard time wrapping my head around quite how Plastic Man works. And I, I think you, you don't, you shouldn't even think shouldn't about even it. You shouldn't even think about it, just yeah, let yeah. it go. Reed Richards always seemed to stretch within the, the confines of the moderately believable. Well, Within the confines of it's still a guy who can stretch. With Plastic Man, he's played, written as though he is plastic, but with Reed Richards he's just an elongated man. Like the elongated man. Yeah. But with Plastic Man, he's always written and drawn to be more plastic than man. And a bit goofy. Yeah. So he's always goofing off. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Lots of examples of the kind of cool thing we want to see in this kind of story that we were denied in the the Marvel vs. DC crossover. The Skrulls invading Thanagar. I thought it was just brilliant. There's so many great throwaway bits in these four issues yeah. that you wanted to see expanded but it's better that they're not yeah. because it leaves it all in your head so I, you, I love the watcher outside you're just the, standing outside the watch yeah, tower whenever it's, there's an interior shot he's looking through the window I love as well that he, he is the watcher here it's not yeah. I can never interfere <laughs> except this time when I'm going to interfere... Except every time I'm yeah, going to every time I show up, it's yeah, an indication yeah. that I'm going to interfere. Well, and he doesn't. Was, was it Original Sin they recently did where they killed off the Watcher? I hope they didn't, did they? I think they did, yeah. Oh, I like Uartu. Yeah, I've, I've never read it, but I know who killed him. Who killed him? I, I don't, but I reckon it was the other Watchers. <laughs> Bloody <laughs> hell, he keeps interfering and he breaking the, the crime yeah. directive. <laughs> so we're going to kill him. That seems a bit extreme. I think. Um, anyway, this, yeah, the Skrulls invading Thanagar is brilliant. The Dire Wraiths fighting Mongol is absolutely awesome. Like Michael said, the wa- the Watcher just appearing outside of the Watchtower is is just brilliant. Uh, I, I quite like the Genosha bit as well. I like the Genosha bit. I like them going to Latveria. Yeah. And in fact, I love this entire two-panel thing. The the repulsed by Latveria and Doctor Doom and Batman stay on target. <laughs> and they hate what happened in Genosha. Uh, stay on target. And they see the Hulk smashed somewhere in Michigan. It's stay on target. And then Batman sees the Punisher shooting up a lot of drug dealers in an alley. And the next page we get is Plastic Man bawling Batman yeah, out yeah. for stopping what they were doing to, to stop the Punisher from I, shooting I people. I like how you don't see it. It's just Plastic Man's retelling of yeah, it. Yeah, and Batman's just stood there, so he clearly won. <laughs> Batman <laughs> clearly kicked the crap out of Frank Castle. Yeah. There, there was the thing about it which sets up something I didn't like about this. It's how very judgmental and quick to be judgmental Captain and Superman were. Yeah, well, it, that's intentional. Yeah. It becomes a story pipe later on. It's just, it kind of bugged me, and I'm like, but you judge, you went, you saw the worst of that universe, and then judged the rest of the world by what you saw. Hmm. You saw a dictator, a, 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 a war, a, a country tore by civil war. It wasn't that, it was ground zeroes of a terrorist attack, you know, sure. Was it Magneto? No, it wasn't. Magneto was a good guy then. Oh, right. Genosha was its own country where mutants could go to be free. Oh, yeah. And it I got remember. blown up in the yeah. start of the Morrison run. So they went to ground zero. Well, this is before that. Is it? Yeah. It couldn't be. Genosha's blown up. This predates the Morrison X-Men run. Why wow, didn't it come out? This, 1990... I've already said at the beginning. <laughs> I've forgotten already how useless I am. 2003. 
So yeah, it would have. So is that the Morrison run? It would have been side to side, side oh, by side. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, and then you've got a criminal. So you essentially seeing the worst and bad bits of the universe, and then the judging it on that. And yeah, I, get, I get it. it was, would it not be like us showing up in Gotham and judging their entire world on the fact that Gotham is this crime-ridden cesspool? Yeah, and not only that, but. Uh, I think it's to the end of the issue where um, the Avengers show up in the DCU mm. and Superman, after spending the entire issue laying on about how horrible the Avengers are on their world, like Captain America calls them fascists and Superman's like, whoa, what? No, you can't, you know, dissing on us. Whoa, no. Out of line there, mate. Well, yeah. and But there is a point to that that I don't want to actually ruin for you until you've actually read the story. But it, there is a point to it. And, and see, well, what, Harfum, yeah, see, Monster Island. Monster <laughs> Island is seeing the, the DC heroes on Monster Island is cool. Yeah, and Kyle Rayner, the artist, yeah. saying those are some pretty cool looking monsters. Superman versus Godzilla is brilliant. So we get Superman versus Finn Fang Foom, which is brilliant. Are all these monsters the um, Lee Kirby ones? I think so. Is there no monsters here from DC? Well, no, because they don't recognise any, do they? No, they're they're in Marvel, aren't they? Yeah, so they're all clearly Marvel Lee Kirby monsters. Yeah, they all look like Kirby's as well. Yeah, they just I thought were they all the ones they did in Amazing Fancy? They may be, you know. Oh yeah, from like that until some suspense yeah. and, and all that stuff. There's no what's his name? Goom. Goom. Finn Fan Foom's here, and I recognise the three-headed bat monster from somewhere. But, you know, somebody probably knows all the names of them. Would have been cool to see Devil Dinosaur. It would have been cool to see Devil Dinosaur. That would have been brilliant. And it's obviously kind of existing in this nebulous continuity because Superman doesn't remember the Hulk. Yeah. But last week Superman fought the Hulk. Mm. And last week in terms of our show, obviously. Do they pick and choose which crossovers happened? I, I think this just picks and chooses whatever happened. Because the reference DC versus Marvel. Yeah. And Crisis yeah. is obviously part of it. And then, as we change realities as we go along... I mean, I suppose you can always just say that it switched to a reality where Superman and Hulk didn't happen. Yeah. You just, you just say that, don't you? And it solves the problem quite well. It's pretty straightforward. I love the Martian Manhunter's line. This is the third time today my power has been unable to reach into the mind of something standing before me. It's beginning to grow annoying. Mm. <laughs> Which I thought was really cool. I like it when the Martian Manhunter's human. I like the Martian Manhunter. And I like him in this story as well. He's really quite cool in it. It's very good. The battle at the end is very impressively mounted and handled. Wonder Woman snatching the arrow from out of the ur that Hawkeye has fired is really cool. Yeah. Because the Avengers have just got cocky at that point. They think that they've won. And yeah, you're right. Superman's very judgmental on the Avengers. It's not like he's brought about world peace in the DCU, is it? Mm. But it is his story arc. There is, a, there is a reason given for why he's been like that later on in the story. Yeah. And it's the same with Captain America, who has a very low opinion of the DC Universe and its heroes. But it is explained why. And he, he, goes, he grows to learn and respect each other as we go along. The Avengers coming through a boom tube yeah. is cool. That like Metron showing up, though. Metron shows up, which is awfully like cool. any time the new gods show up, though. Yeah, and there's just so many really cool bits. And the thing that bugs me as well with Captain America, 
you've got all these statues erected to... To Superman. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you've got these news reports about Wonder Woman doing things for charity and Captain America's like, oh, they're doing it to, to be, you know, be praised and all that. Yeah, they're well, just, just self-grandizing. I don't, gee, I, don't, like I don't know, Cap. Maybe they're, they're being praised like this because they've earned the, that it's praise. entirely. And coming from Captain America as well, who is praised yeah, yeah. for what he's doing, it does seem a bit... Oh, I gee, did... Cap, all your World War II efforts. No, you only did it just so that people would like you. I, I love the Quicksilver's like, oh, the Flash. <laughs> He's a speedster. He has a museum. <laughs> do all the speedsters have museums? Why don't I have one? Yeah, which is actually <laughs> who, who do I get in touch with? Because the fact that Cap throws a strop though and says they're little tin gods, and Scarlet Witch actually says, "Are you okay?" Yeah, is is the kind of signposting that's part of the plot. Yeah, to be honest with you. Um, I did love Hawkeye's line about the JLA being nothing but a bunch of Squadron Supreme knockoffs. Mm. That was hysterical. The two-page splash where the JLA finally meet the Avengers is just brilliant. And Aquaman's got a hook. So he has, yeah. yeah so the universes are already changing around them. So it, unless that was a mistake earlier on, that Aquaman had two hands... I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know, because with within the parameters of this story... It could be. It could just be that reality has changed. They don't really. They haven't really noticed yet. Yeah. It's only later on that they will notice that all this is going on. So all right, yeah, fair enough. That's good. The final conflict is built up very well, with Thor, Cap, and Superman all being a tad hot-headed and spoiling for a fight, aren't they? Mm. They're not really willing to listen to reason here. And Plastic Man there has the same landscape which has. Uh, yeah. Isn't Superman laying it on a bit thick? Mm. So they all know something's up. And Thor answers all of this by hurling Mjolnir right into Superman's kisser. Yeah, the funny thing about that, though, is that that's not Thor acting as a character. That's no, no, that, that's Thor being Thor. <laughs> yeah. I have heard him now. Flat. <laughs> Mighty Mjolnir speaks for me. <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty good cliffhanger ending to, to the story. And then we get a little one-page epilogue that it's all part of the Grandmaster and Metron's master plan. Yeah, I like the Atom infiltrating it as well. Yeah, because that was quite... Because nobody seems to notice that he's missing either. No. Yet. They will notice later on. Yeah. Because in, in episode two or part two or book two or whatever you want to call it, they actually say, oh, the Atom's missing and so is the Flash. What's going on? And Batman's like, they've got to take care of themselves. We're busy. Because, <laughs> you know, he's Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he does. Uh, part one, already much more satisfying than Marvel vs. DC. Busiek has an excellent handle on all the characters. There's no snarky dialogue nor any out-of-character moments that aren't intentional because the editors were stupid enough to allow readers to vote. Yeah. That was a dumb idea, I think. Perez's art is magnificent throughout. Perez's art is magnificent throughout, as one would expect. It's a little bit crisis, but that's no bad thing. And this read really quickly despite its length. That's not to say that it's a vapid read, like any other of the event stories I could mention. Rather that I was so engaged in what was going on that the reading experience was a pleasurable one. And so it went by quickly, rather than this being a toilet read. Uh, Pretty good beginning. Mm -hmm. What do you think? No, I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. I really liked it. And it just gets better as it goes along. It's not one of those that gets disappointed. Yeah. I mean, you having read as many comics as you have, you could probably now predict part four straight off the bat. Yeah. But just because it's a predictable ending doesn't make it a bad one. Did he make friends and then fix everything? Yes. And team up to fight the uh, yeah. mutual bad guy. Well, that's, that's just... 
It's that's just superhero fiction, isn't it? Superhero team up 101. Yeah, pretty much. you got to fight it first. Yeah. It's a Marvel story, isn't it? Yeah. Issue number two, book two, has a simply gorgeous Perez wraparound cover, like they all do, featuring the Avengers battling the JLA, as was the norm. The Avengers get top billing as opposed to the JLA, who got top billing last time, and this will alternate throughout the series, kind of like Sharon Gless and Ty Daly on Cagney and Lacey. Words cannot do justice to this cover. It is stunning. But some of the delights include Superman vs. Thor, Wonder Woman versus and owning Hercules, which has a wonderful in-story reason for happening yeah. when we actually get the Batman versus Cap, Green Lantern, Frying, Iron Man, and these are just a sampling. Go and Google it and have a look and lose yourself in it. We'll wait. We're not going anywhere. Perez makes my eyes hurt. There's so much in so little space. I know, but he makes your eyes hurt in a good way. Yeah. It's it's brilliant. I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. There's a lot of colour on there as well. Yeah, you've got the red tornado fighting Photon or Captain Marvel or whatever name she's going by at this point. I don't quite know who Zatanna's hurling her bolts at. Ms. Marvel, perhaps? Maybe. You've got oh, Scarlet Witch. Oh, Scarlet Witch on the other side. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Jack O'Lantern's pummeling steel. Two people who aren't even in the comic. Aquaman, I think is. is he? Yeah. Black Panther, the Atom getting blasted by Yellow Jacket. It's just absolutely fantastic Quicksilver's obviously fighting the Flash hmm. there is no bad though at least I don't think there is do you think there was? no good man first time ever we have completely agreed <laughs> on something uh, book two was called A Contest of Champions have you noticed where all the titles are coming from yet? I know it's Junior's Mystery yeah. Contest of Champions right the first Marvel miniseries right uh, I can't remember what book three and four are called but I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that next week it turns out that the Grand Master has engaged Kroner in a deadly game, and they both watch the drama unfold. As the Justice League and the Avengers get it on, Captain America and Batman play a far more subtle game, gauging each other's abilities. Batman concedes that it's possible, however slight, that Cap would emerge victorious in such a conflict, but he feels there's a larger game afoot. Cap agrees, and the duo elect to work together behind the scenes to figure it all out. As the fight continues, Scarlet Witch learns that her chaos magic is far more powerful here than back in her own universe, and through this she learns the location of all the magic items. She hexes the Avengers away, and the Martian Manhunter states that their primary goal must be the location of the items. The JLA split up with some returning to the Marvel Universe. In the DC Universe, the first team of Iron Man and Hawkeye retrieve their first item, the Green Lantern power battery, but before they can return it, the Grandmaster snatches it and declares the game to be one all. However, it's a game of two halves and there's still all to play for. Green Lantern and Superman snag the Orb of Ra, and Aquaman claims the Eternity Book, whilst Quicksilver bags the Wand of Watu. Kroner whines the game is too slow, obviously he's never watched football, but the Grandmaster asks what of Batman and Cap? Well, they are wondering what's going on, and Oracle is busy mashing her keyboard in an effort to work out what's what. The Batman is curious what Metron gets out of all of this, but Cap tells him the Grandmaster levies penalties on players who don't play. To that end, they'll need an edge, and Cap summons a time bike from Reed Richards. As Firestorm snatches the bell, the wheel and the jar from under Thor's nose, in Wakanda the Black Panther claims the Medusa mask as his own, much to the chagrin of Plastic Man and the Martian Manhunter. Batman and Cap then follow Metron's trail. 
Hawkeye and Iron Man recover the casket of ancient winters, bringing the total to four all. The Scarlet Witch is also struggling as the chaos magic begins to consume her. The Flash, meanwhile, fed up with nothing going his way, puts the other speedster Quicksilver in his place by stealing the evil eye from his hands, and Iron Man manages to subdue Wonder Woman long enough for Photon to wrap her mitts around the Spear of Destiny. Batman and Captain America have made it to the Grandmaster's home base, where the Atom is delighted to see them. He's been doing some digging, and he shows Batman and Cap the stakes of the game they have been playing. The Grandmaster will introduce Krona to the man who existed before the Big Bang, Galactus, if Krona wins, thus destroying the Marvel U. If the Grandmaster wins, Krona will leave the universe, the Marvel U, unmolested, and instead take the DCU. Cap realises that the Avengers are fighting for Krona. On Apocalypse, Darkseid has seized the Infinity Gauntlet, but its power is useless in the DCU, and he casts it aside, allowing the Flash to catch it, bringing the score 6-5 in favour of the DCU. Only one object remains, the Cosmic Cube. All the combatants from both universes appear in the Savage Land, and it's on. With Superman pounding on Thor relentlessly, the other team members get into a heated battle, however, when Superman stops Mjolnir in its tracks, Thor's awe turns into the bitter dregs of defeat. The Avengers cannot believe their eyes. The God of Thunder is down. Earth's mightiest heroes round on the last son of Krypton, engaging in a merciless beating as Wonder Man, She-Hulk, Iron Man, The Vision and Hercules tag team on the Man of Steel in a clash of brutal titans. Green Lantern sees this as his opportunity to snatch the cube, but Warbird takes it from him in the penalty box. The Flash prevents Warbird from scoring the winning goal, but before he can turn this into victory, Quicksilver, still smarting from his previous beating, steals victory away from the burning embers of defeat. They think it's all over as the Grandmaster declares a draw, but before the final whistle can blow, Cat knocks the cube out of Quicksilver's hand. Krona does not accept defeat well and turns on the Grandmaster, pummeling him in a flurry of cosmic blasts that force the Grandmaster to his knees. As Cap orders the Avengers to attack, Batman likewise orders the JLA, but the cosmic force field prevents their best efforts. As Krona rests the knowledge he desires from the Grandmaster's mind, who is this being? The Grandmaster's mental shields fall and Galacta stands revealed. As Krona turns his attention to the one he seeks, Galactus, he defeats him in pitched battle. The Grandmaster announces that this was his plan all along. The items were not for the players, they were for him. Two different universes swirl as if draining down a sink before disappearing completely. And now I've got a sore throat. <laughs> uh, interestingly, inside the book... Perez, or Busiek, I don't know who decided which was which, go for less obvious choices of combatants than on the cover in the gorgeous two-page splash of the team fighting. You've got both the Martian Manhunter and Superman punching out Thor, Yeah, which I thought was a nice touch to start off with. He is a god of thunder, after all. The Flash goes up against Hawkeye. Wonder Woman takes on Captain America, and Batman is pitched against the Vision... Green Lantern is versus Scarlet Witch, and Aquaman is punching Iron Man's lights out. And then we have a little bit of a switch around as Wonder Woman turns her attention to Thor. And there's a few more of these fights that I'd like to have seen more of, rather than, you know, the obvious ones. But then the two most obvious 
Batman and Captain America square off finally. It's really cool. Yeah. I really like the bit before this, though, where Batman does a jump kick through the vision. Yeah. It's so tiny into the side of the page, but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, it's not drawn attention to or anything, but yeah, he's gone in to kick the vision, and the vision's just turned intangible. Yeah. And Batman's gone through him, and his face is like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like the end of Superman 2. He yeah. plays this game all the time at home. Never was very good at it. Poor Kent. <laughs> Superman is a practical joker. Uh, it's very similar, the Batman Cap scene is very similar to a similar scene in Batman Captain America by John Byrne, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, they did essentially the same thing in that. The common consensus being that one of them may ultimately emerge victorious, depending on which one of them was having a bad day at the time. Yeah, but, but it'll it's, take a very long time. Yeah, but it's too close to call. Um, ultimately, I think Cap would emerge victorious. If only because, as a soldier, if he absolutely had no choice, he would make the ultimate decision, wouldn't he? Yeah. To kill him, to take him out. And Batman made a vow, but Captain um, America has killed. Yeah, and Cap's a soldier, and he knows that he may have to do that in yeah. war. And I think if it push comes to shove, Cap has that, I don't know if I want to call it an advantage... But he does have that mindset that, right, I absolutely have no choice here. Yeah. If I don't do this, the world's going to stop spinning. Well, Captain America does have that choice. He's done it before. But Batman, it's not a choice. Yeah. Ever. So that's why I ultimately think Captain America would come out on top. Yeah. Because Cap would be willing to make that final decision if he absolutely had to and there was no other choice. Yeah. Whereas Batman, I don't think, would cross that line. Would he on Batman, though? With the thing with Cap, though, is doesn't he have a respect for his foe if they're worthy of respect? Yeah, but that, that's what I'm... I mean, I'm talking ultimate last-stand scenario, no choice, Yeah, is where I ultimately come down and Cap would ultimately be the one who would victorious because he would make that decision. Yeah. But you're right, it would never get to that point. Both of them would ultimately acquiesce, so, all right, you're as good as I am. Mm. Let's talk instead of beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. I think both of them are smart enough to make that decision but the way Busiek and Perez have them test each other is pretty cool it's just two pages of them parrying blows off yeah. each other isn't it not one of them lands a punch the mm. other one always blocks them it's like the bit in the Matrix where it just be ten yeah. minutes of them parrying and blocking it is really cool yeah I really liked it <laughs> it's very interesting to me that it's Batman who puts aside his differences and tells the Justice League to work with the funny invaders. Mm. I actually thought that was a really nice touch, given this, again, was the era of ultra-cool. Yeah. Batman doesn't need anybody. Uh, the Martian Manhunter is the one that notes the Atom is missing. When he notes that Batman is missing. Poor Atom. Yeah. He's an afterthought. Yeah, he only notes he's like, oh, Batman's not here. Oh, wait a minute, here's the Atom. Well, they got plenty of uh, attention after Identity Crisis, didn't they? <laughs> That's not happened yet. In the or had it? Had it happened at this yet. point? Has it not happened yet? No, Laurie's still alive, is she? Um, I did like there's just some really cool moments here. Aquaman takes charge when he splits the group up, which goes to what you were saying earlier on. Just my assumption is Superman or Wonder Woman believe the JLA, but Superman does very little leading in this story. Yeah, he has some cool bits, but he's he doesn't come across as the leader of the JLA, which you know. I did laugh out loud at him referring to the Marvel Universe as backward. Yeah. 
I did find that very irrefutable. Especially like Wonder Woman's response to Superman's just like, maybe this backward. Yeah, yeah. And Wonder Woman's that was very uncharitable. <laughs> and Superman's like, eh, okay. <laughs> so that was really quite um quite funny. Another couple of excellent matchups and they put a lot of thought into who fights who. Wonder Woman versus Hercules is inspired. Yeah, I, I thought it would have gone for the obvious and have her against Wonder Man. Mm, yeah, well, they kind of do later. Yeah. And you like that when they do do it in issue number three. Do do. Do do. I just said do do. <laughs> oh, and it makes you laugh. It does. <laughs> um, but Hercules versus Wonder Woman, in her mythology, Wonder Woman's own backstory, courtesy of Perez, and I think general mythology, Hercules despoiled Hippolyta, which was her mum. Yeah. And Hercules here is, or the Marvel version of him anyway, admits to having had the pleasure of her company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not the right thing to say. Not the smartest thing to say. Wonder Woman answers this by smacking him across a room and threatening to break his neck. Yeah. Because as far as she's concerned, this is the guy that forced himself on her mum. And he's like, what? What do you want about? Yeah, yeah, Look yeah. at me, I don't have to force myself on anybody. <laughs> Women fall before me. So that was that was quite an inspired matchup, and yeah. I like that. And She-Hulk versus Aquaman is good, even if She-Hulk does have a funny face in that page. Yeah, he, he never quite got She-Hulk right. Yeah, of all the characters that he draws, he struggles with She-Hulk, and I don't know why, but he does, doesn't he? He never gets She-Hulk right. Green Lantern versus Wonder Man, and there's just a ton of fun to be had seeing the Avengers in the Flash Museum. These are just the little things that you didn't get in Avengers vs. DC, mm. isn't it? And Marvel vs. DC, sorry. Like the moment in the Batcave, the the little lovely character bit where Boussier remembers to have some fun, Cap just looking at the shrine to Jason Todd and realising though that he and Batman have got an awful lot in common after all because he yeah. says, you lost a partner. And Batman answers with... There's work to be done. And Cap's like, oh, that's how it is, is it? Yeah. Yeah, got a big stick up your ass, have you? <laughs> Which, you know, it's it's a li- lovely little moment against all the relentless action. And that's the same all the way through all four issues. Yeah. Then followed by Galaxus coming out the lava as a down kill visual. Yeah, but Metron watching him. Yeah. Metron watching Galactus consume a planet. Is, is great because it's Galactus that Croner is seeking Galactus yeah. wants the one who survived the Big Bang and it's Galactus and he wants to know what that was like and how it came to be so it's Galactus that he wants in, that is a, a really good interlude because then we go back to the Batcave and this entire Batcave sequence is great it was a complete surprise to see the thing here mm. I, didn't th- I didn't remember the Fantastic Four showing up in this in any capacity and the X-Men don't do they? no Surprisingly, there is not even a cameo appearance by the X-Men. Whereas at least here we get a, a cute moment with the Thing. And I, I think I'd have liked him to stick around yeah. with Batman and Captain America because it would have been quite interesting to see how Batman related to him. Cap's still a bit touchy. I didn't get that, that Batman was digging at the Thing here when he says that he's a bit rough around the edges. Yeah. He got, he's got I a rough he edge. It, literally. Yeah, he's got a rough edge charm. Yeah. I thought he meant, yeah, but he's he's funny and entertaining, and you know, he, he he's a little bit touchy when he says, "Was that a knock?" Because yeah. Ben Grimm's one of the best men I know. 
And I didn't get that Batman was taking the piss. Well, maybe it's still just him being out of character like Superman was. Yeah, and, you know... Yeah, you know, yeah, it is just one of those, you know... Batman being miffed that they're casting some kind of game is quite funny. Yeah. Because Batman doesn't like any game that he's not in charge of. No. So, again, that was a nice moment. I did really like the um, this page here, the Scarlet Witch versus, versus the Tana page. Just the page layouts and the opposites of it. Yeah, what's going on with the Avengers, what's going on with the JLA at the same time. Oh, yeah, Steel's helping Flash. Yeah, but yeah, just yeah, the opposites right. between the Scarlet Witch and Zatanna as well, all the way through it. Yeah, it is. This is the way It's just exceptionally well structured and very well laid out in terms of its art. This must have took an awful long time yeah. to write and produce, and it was worth A couple every of decades. Minute. Well... I don't, not that long to actually do this version, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, the Atom has a very convenient video blog revealing Superman's rather haughty attitude to our other you. Which, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, which, which pisses Cap off. <laughs> the Atom just says, oh yeah, a wrong video. Uh, wrong bit. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is quite funny. Because, you know, nobody, not even Superman, tells Cap that he's not fighting hard enough. I love that game room though the design of it yeah I love seeing the Black Panther I love that we see Smallville I love the, the, the Games Masters design room and the, the destroyed universe as well to- uh, told between torn panels oh yeah so it is on the other page yeah yeah oh yeah it's totally yeah that is actually really really cool a bit like the Phantom Zone as well yeah isn't it which is, is great um, it's just all a little bit repetitive in terms of how great we think it is. Dark Side with the Infinity Gauntlet. Dark Side scene is great, yeah. How cool is that? But the Infinity Gauntlet doesn't work in the DCU. I love how he throws it away, so but he just discards sets it, the yeah. Omega Beams on it as well. Yeah, to destroy it and get rid of the Flash. So he's like, you can have it, but you might die. And then all of them appear in the Savage Land, with the exception of Batman and, and Captain America, obviously. Scarlet Witch is looking better than earlier. Yeah, she seems to have recovered a little bit. Superman versus Thor is magnificent, especially when Superman calls uh, Thor, sorry, calls Superman out mm. on his disrespect, and Superman calls Thor a small god. Yeah, which was almost like the Avengers movie. There's a little bit there where you think, I wonder if Whedon stole from this. But again, like you've said before, the panel layout, Superman versus Thor happens in the middle panels, and all around them is the rest of the JLA and the Avengers fighting with each other. And Thor and Superman kick the crap out of each other, and Superman gets in a spinal tap quote. Yeah, yeah. Even in the midst of battle, (laughs) always room to quote spinal tap. Yep. None more black. Although that's not the quote, it's the going up to 11 one. Uh, The climax is good. It's hard to split up into sections. The battle between Thor and Superman and the Avengers' reaction to the battle between Thor and Superman. I I don't know what was more shocking here, that Thor was defeated by Superman, much to Thor's disbelief, yeah. which was quite cool, or that the Avengers' heaviest hitters just dogpile on him. Oh, yeah. Don't they? They're ready to kill Superman. That doesn't put them in a very good light. No, they just snap Yeah, that he's beaten Thor and they just pile onto him. And it's not bloody because they're beating the crap out of Superman, who, who doesn't really, you know, bleed that much. But it's it's brutal, mm. isn't it? They're actually kicking the cack out of him. I thought it was, it was pretty great how um, when Krona 
turned out to be the bad guy, he hit Superman and Thor just fought side by side. Mm, I, I love that, that bit when the, when the bad guy stands revealed that it's Krona and he turns on the Grandmaster. I love that Superman's like, can you still fight? Yeah. And Thor's like, if thou canst, I can. And then they just both get into it together. Yeah. Which is great. Because there is a bit further on down the line in issue three that you'll get to that's brilliant about this as well. Mm. Where Thor's very, ah, yeah, Superman beat me last time, but, you know, I've got his measure now. (laughs) It may not go that way if we fight again. Yeah. And I love that. I love Thor's ego. (laughs) Which, you know, when you're the god of thunder, you can be as egocentric as you want to, okay? Um, it's, It's really rather excellent. It's... Perez masterfully ramps up the tension of who is going to claim the Cosmic Cube at the end, which is the final piece of, uh, of the 12 that they need. Having it bounce from player to player like a skillful football player, passing the ball to his teammates, and then having the, the curveball of Cap knocking it out of Quicksilver's hands, costing the Avengers their victory, yeah. doesn't he? Which is a good touch. The Avengers follow his orders to the letter despite this. And Superman and Thor teaming up is just, just shows the honour and determination of both men. And then Galactus gets killed. Does he get killed? Galactus is killed here. Right, okay. He kills Galactus. Right. Which is, you know... I'm assuming he doesn't eat him after this, though. No, no, no. <laughs> this isn't a Mark Miller comic. A Galactus does not get eaten by Corona. And that's just another brilliant cliffhanger ending. Yeah. It? Two issues in, this is glorious. It would be redundant to say anything about the art, as anything I could say could not get over to you, lovely listener, what a magnificent piece of art every single panel in this comic is. And yet, as we've seen many times before, good art can make a bad story bearable, but can elevate a good story. And this is a very good story. Yes. If we were to be churlish, we could point out its plot similarities to both Marvel vs. DC and Crisis on Infinite Earths, but there's no harm in recycling a plot when you're going to do it better. Yeah. And this does it much, much better. Whether it's better than Crisis, I suppose, is personal opinion, yeah. isn't it? But it surely this did no harm, ultimately, which you can't really say about the Crisis. Mm. This stands alone as just a, a wonderfully entertaining adventure. But it's undeniable this is what Marvel vs. DC wanted so desperately to be and yet failed at at every turn. Yeah. You know, it is predictable. Like I said earlier on, you can outline the ending to this story now having not read issue three and four. Yeah. And you'd probably be 90% of the way there. There are no surprises, but sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. What did you think? I really, really liked it. Well, go and read three and four and we'll record them now, back to back, and have next week off. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, next time, book three and four, Avengers vs. JLA. Uh, I think you can probably guess if we're going to like it or not. Yeah. That's pretty... butcher it at the end. No, they don't. So, okay. okay, right, well, thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Unless we've ruined it for you. Yeah. By uh, telling you what we think already. <laughs> Bye bye. Goodbye. Hey, Q. 
Kids comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.